Good morning. That's just a, a quick way to try to give a visual representation of what we do and where we do it. Uh, several people that have received newsletters have asked us to, uh, uh, to to show pictures and to try to share. There's just so many things that we could. Any one of these pictures is a story in itself. And and um, there are so many wonderful people around the world that I would love to be able to just have you all over into the living room. If you're free this evening, you can all come over and we can talk about all of these things. One of there's just just amazing stories to tell. But we wanted to show you this to help you understand what it is we do and where we do it. Um, this is we have been gone for not not quite two years, but almost uh, we left just the two of us and we came back with a baby and we are so excited about that. If you haven't had a chance to meet our son, we'd love for you to. He's, he's really a blessing and an, uh, an answer to prayer on one hand, a surprise on the other and joy all the way around. And we're just uh, just delighted. And uh, we'll be out in the gathering place after the service. If you want to come by and and meet him, we, that would be great. Uh, I think he's in the nursery now crying or doing what it is babies do in the nursery. But, um, <clears throat> you know, to uh, we, we coming home was a special time for us here. As we pulled into Wilmington, we we started feeling like we were home. And then when we got here to the church this morning, we knew that we were because uh, because there's so many faces and so many uh, people that we love here. And you are a big part of what we do. Uh, you, you saw in the video when we were sent out, I don't know how many people were here that day, uh, remember that day. Let me tell you, we remember that day all the time. It is a special, a special memory for us, and it, uh, it encourages us and motivates us and inspires us. And so we thank you for your, your love and your support and your prayers. Today is a day that uh, was declared to live in infamy 73 years ago by President Franklin Roosevelt. This was the day, December 7th, 73 years ago, when uh, Pearl Harbor came under attack. And in what seemed like a sudden, uh, spontaneous moment, the airmen, the, the, the sailors, the Marines that were stationed there thought that, that there was this massive attack, that the world was coming to an end. It was a, a catacly- cataclysmic time when five of our eight battleships were sunk. The Arizona is still at the bottom of the harbor. Um, over 150 planes were destroyed. 2,400 lives uh, were, were lost. And it seemed sudden, but it wasn't uh, because it was part of a plan. And I just bring that up today because this is a, a, a historical date, but it proves the axiom that in life, in general, nothing of consequence happens without preparation, without a plan. And such was certainly the case at Pearl Harbor. And such is the case with God. God is a God with clear designs for his people, for his creation. And he has called us to participate in those designs. And I want to share some of that with you today. And before we do, why don't we go before the throne and and pray for his grace as we speak. Father, we do lift this time before you, offer it to you. We set aside whatever may be... uh, tempting us to be distracted, what may be uh, obscuring our vision of the glory of your grace. Father, we want to be uh, solely focused on you in this moment that we might enter into your presence in a special way, that we might find revelation through your word that will guide us through this day, the next day, the coming months and years, Lord, that we will become the people you have called us to be increasingly so and increasingly conformed to the image of Christ. And we pray in his name. 
Amen. Um, this is a time for us of, uh, of an exciting time for us. Before I, I get into the message, I did want to make one other announcement. Um, Timothy 2, which is the uh, agency that was birthed out of Myrtle Grove. Um, this was, uh, it's been over three years ago now, three and a half years when the agency was first formed. Um, matter of fact, board members, raise your hand. Any board members of Timothy 2? I see Michael, David up there in the balcony. Um, about three and a half years ago, it was, it was formed, and we've seen uh, just God doing some amazing things, as you got a glimpse of there on the video. But today, I also wanted to make a special announcement that we have a new uh, addition. Well, in addition to the new missionary that's coming on board, he's over in the nursery. We have, we have a new addition to Timothy 2 coming on board, and that would be uh, Mike Dixon. If you'd raise your hand over here. He's, uh, stand up if you'd like. And his wife, I don't see Carrie, she gone. But, she left with a baby. Okay, this is Mike Dixon. You, yeah, w- welcome Mike aboard. There's Kaori by the back door with the baby. Um, Mike is, is Norma Brown's son. You may know Norma. She's uh, uh, active here in Myrtle Grove. And he's been just moved back to Wilmington from Western North Carolina. And he's coming on Timothy 2 as a director of communications. He's going to be working with everything from uh, website, IT, social media, and all of that. And, and, uh, and Lord willing, being involved in, in teaching ministry as well. So we're really excited to see where God is taking this. And I encourage you to get to know Mike and his family as you see them around here uh, each week. And uh, encourage you to keep them in your prayers as well. Today, I'd like to talk to you again about the preparation that God has in our lives. And I'd like to begin by asking you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. You know the old gospel song about the old, old story. We've all heard the old, old story. And yet we continue to want to hear it. Because the truths of God never never grow old. And I'm not going to say anything perhaps today that is extremely new or revelatory, but I'm going to say something that is extremely meaningful to me in my life at this time, and maybe it will bless you where you are. And that is really two points. One, that God goes before us wherever he calls us to go. And second, because of that, we can go there without fear. We can go there in boldness. We can go there in the assurance that we don't walk alone. If you look in uh, Deuteronomy 31, this is, to put it in context, this is when Moses is moving into uh, a transitional stage and Joshua is taking over in Israel. He's going to be the man that God has put at the head of Israel. And Moses is saying to Joshua this in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. I'm sorry. You know what I need? Uh, You can't can't pretend it anymore. Okay, verse eight. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, we we know that verse. We maybe out of the Hebrews, uh, out of the book of Hebrews, which says he'll never leave you or forsake you. But this is also showing another dimension to that. And that is that he goes before you. Sometimes when I envision him not leaving me, I see me walking into the abyss and he's with me and that's great. And he says he won't leave me and that's great. But this verse adds another dimension to that and says he's not just with me, he's going before me wherever he's sending me. And that to me is something that is extremely important when we go to some of these places. Most of the time, there's no one waiting for me. There's no agency. There's no people. 
God has called me to to work with a certain people group. And so I get on a plane and I go and I get off and I try to find them. And and so there's times of real where that can be real fearful. But this is the kind of uh, comfort that I draw from this is what I want to share with you and want you to to try to grasp. But the, the idea that God goes before us is a very biblical concept. We see that very most visibly uh, when the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt and God went before them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, visibly leading them into the out of the out of Egypt and then towards the promised land. And then as they went into the promised land, we read in the book of Joshua that God melted the hearts of the Canaanites with fear and the uh, uh, the people were able to move in and conquer uh, much bigger people groups than they than themselves. And then this time of year, we we uh, often refer to the passage in Isaiah where it says, prepare a way for the Lord, make a way. Uh, John the Baptist referred to that uh, in the Gospels. And this is a time when God is promising to go before into a new place where he's moving beyond the warnings of Isaiah 1 through 39 and moving into the promises of Isaiah 40 through 30 through 66. This pivotal moment when he's saying, I'm going to send the Messiah who will provide a way of redemption and reconciliation for you. So the idea of God going before is a very biblical idea. And it's also true with missions. God not only is going before us in every step of the way, he goes before us in the idea of missions. I want to share a word with you. You may have heard it's called Missio Dei, two words, a phrase, Missio Dei. And it literally means either the mission of God or mission by God. And this one, um, see my quote, this one missiologist says that Missio Dei, uh, I can't find it, but it it involves everything in relation to God's dealing with the kingdom, as well as everything that the church is sent to do on earth. So it encompasses everything that God is doing through the church is God's mission on earth. And I want to talk about that briefly by looking at three passages from the Old Testament. Turn back to Genesis chapter 12. If you would, if you have your Bibles, if not, there should be one in the rack in front of you. Genesis 12, the first three verses, this is the call of Abram. Now, the Lord says to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So I want to see two points in this passage. First, God sends The idea in in Latin, it's missio, the same word that we get missions from. And it's saying that God sends his people, leave your country. But it also has a promise attached. He says, in you, all the nations or all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not might be, not maybe, not if you do it the right way, not if this happens or if that happens, but but shall be blessed. Because God has a people that he has named for himself from every tribe. We saw the verse on the screen from Revelations. Out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, God has called a people for himself. And so in Abram, he says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So there's a promise. Turn over to Exodus chapter 19.
and look at verses four through six. This is Israel at Mount Sinai, and God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And Peter echoes these words in his epistle when he says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Uh, a holy nation. And there, books have been written on how it is that we are a treasured possession and how we are a holy nation and really even on how we are a kingdom. Uh, you alluded earlier to the, the royalty that, that is bestowed upon us in the kingdom. But I want to focus on the element of being priests, both in the Old Testament with Israel and, and in the uh, fully unfolding the church in the New Testament. We are called to be priests, to be mediators between God and the world. So God's vision for missions is for the world. It, it begins in the heart and the mind of God. So the plan is that God will send and the promise is that God will save his people, that the, 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 the sending will be effective. Well, why is that? Well, the purpose of missions can be found in Psalm 67. If you flip over there to keep you. You keep you busy this morning flipping Psalm 67. Where the psalmist writes, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And at the very end, verse seven, God will bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the purpose of missions. God desires to be praised. That's why he sends us out. That's why he saves people so that he wants to have a worshiping people, a praising people, a people that will praise the glory of his grace. Paul writes in Ephesians. And that's the purpose of missions. Now, the New Testament expands on this even more. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into the field. And so we see that happening as we move into Acts. We see the church spreading out. And then in the epistles, we see the effect of that as Paul is writing to these churches that have been planted all over Asia Minor, the known world at the time. And John Stott sums this up well. He says we need to be global Christians with a global vision because we have a global God. And we need to keep that in mind. Let me read it again. We need to become global Christians with a global vision because we have a global God. But I want to also say that sometimes we envision missions as beginning with the Great Commission. When Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. But in reality, we see even here, God is preparing beforehand. We see that, for instance, in Galatians 4, 4, Paul writes, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Or at just the right time, God sent his son. And briefly, what I might suggest that that means is that we have the Greek culture that is now spread throughout the the region, the known world. 
and it's created a, a common language. Everybody can communicate using the, the Koine dialect of the Greek. We then had the Romans that conquered the Greeks and, and superimposed a political system and an infrastructure there so that uh, it was safe to travel uh, or safer to travel and that there was a government and there were laws in place. And we see the Hebrews bringing in the idea of monotheism, that there's one God. That was a foreign concept in the world at that time in the, in the pagan nations. They all had many, many gods. So at that confluence, that, that juxtaposition of monotheism, a common language, and good infrastructure, suddenly now Jesus says, okay, now go into the world, and they're able to go and be effective. So we see how God is working beforehand to prepare for the Great Commission to be carried out. And we read in Acts, again, they go in concentric circles in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and outward and outward. The area now that that is taking place in mostly is called the majority world. Uh, it was a Bangladeshi photographer in the 90s came up with that term because, uh, for one thing, it seems to encompass more people. There's more people in the majority world than there are in uh, Western Europe and the U.S., for instance. But also because it, it, some people thought that the idea of calling them uh, third world or underdeveloped was uh, somehow... Um, not, not sensitive enough. So they now use the term majority world, and that's where we serve. That's where, that's where we serve around the world. Most all of these places you've seen, all of these places you saw in the video, are, would be identified as being in the majority world. And in the majority world, there are some things that are in common among these people. Now, forgive my stereotypes as I go forward. This, I'm going to do this briefly. But one thing we see in a lot of the children in the third world is that they are poor, uh, they don't know it necessarily because there's not always a standard against which to measure, although that's changing because uh, pop culture from the West is is infusing into the uh, the majority world through the Internet, through radio and other sources, television. And so they're starting to get this sense of being uh, understanding that they don't have and they're starting to get values established by Western society. But as a rule, they're poor. They may not go to school as often as. Uh, they would like because of the costs associated with it and because they need to be out working. The women are often out working all the time, having as many babies usually as they can. There's often uh, the ridicule or ostracization if they don't. Um, and the men sometimes are participating in the work and other times um, they've kind of taken on a despondency that I see in the faces of men around the world where they've almost given up um, and, and, and they aren't motivated. But so in, the, in this culture, in these cultures, God has called a people from every tribe and from every tongue. And so there are pastors, there are churches, there are a little nucleus. Uh, there's a little nucleus of God's people in each one of these cultures. But these pastors often aren't aren't equipped to lead these people. They look at they might have been that child. They might have been nurtured by that woman and they might have been that man. But they don't know how do I how do I shepherd these people? How do I evangelize these people? How do I pastor them? And they don't have a lot of resources. One thing that I just came across in Christianity Today just last month, you may have seen it, but they did a survey of American evangelicals, wanted to examine their theological literacy. They found that 22% believe that the Father is more divine than Jesus. 16% believe that Jesus was the first created being. Well, those are both wrong. And those are both part of the heresy known as Arianism that was decried in the, in the early centuries of the church. They also found that 51% believe the Holy Spirit is just a force and not a personal being. 
And 9% believe that he is less divine than the Father and the Son. Again, wrong, heresy, semi-Arianism denounced by the church in the early centuries. And finally, 68% believe that we seek God and then he gives us grace. He responds with grace. 68%. And these are American evangelicals. Imagine what it's like in the majority world where these people are growing up in the context of, in Burma, for instance, the Buddhism, or in India, the Hinduism, in Oringa, in Uganda, the Islam, all over the world, animism, superstition, folk traditions, all of these things, they're trying to understand what grace really is and how we separate that from works, what the love of God really is and how we separate that from merit. And so these pastors are often not equipped to do that. And that's what what we are trying to do when we work with these people. And so that's one of the the functions of Timothy two, which is this ministry. Uh, God does have a plan. He sends some to plant and others to water. We water. That's what God's called us to do. We go to the people that are already uh, professing their faith in Christ and we help them get a firmer grasp on what they believe and why they believe it. And then, as you saw at the end, not only do we want to to instruct them, we want them to be able to turn around and teach those in their communities. And we're so blessed to see that. I'll mention just a couple of examples in Oringa. Um, Fourteen years ago, this church started supporting the people of Oringa in Uganda. And one of the things that they were working on all that time was translating the Bible. Here it is. This is an example. When I say that there are resources, or they're not resources for a lot of these people. A lot of them don't even have a Bible in a tongue that they can speak. And people like the Oringa who are able now to have this. I see Doug Wright in the back there who's wrapping up a translation for the Logo people in Congo. Amen. Amen. That puts the, 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 the word of God into their language and into their hands and ultimately into their hearts. And then we come alongside that and, and, and try to train them and help them to better understand it. And before I leave the Oringa, let me mention that Isaac, who is the, uh, the man that uh, Myrtle Grove has been supporting and working with for 14 years now, will be here next week. Uh, he'll be here Tuesday night at the healing service on the 16th and on the 17th at the Wednesday night prayer meeting. So I encourage you. To come out and meet this brother. He is, he's a dear friend and a wonderful, wonderful man of God. And, and in Burma, at the very end of that video, you saw them building churches. That's in an area where people are not allowed to go. Uh, what foreigners are not allowed to go. And so what's happening is they're coming into the areas where I can go. And we are training them and working with them. And then they're going home to these places. And they're building churches. And these churches are being founded in on on sure foundations on sure doctrines and and it, again God's mission is spreading out and all through this we see the hand of God the preparation of God as we go forward and then I, I just as I as I wrap up I just want to stress this point about God going before us and I want to say that sometimes that's going before us too Uganda or Burma or Vietnam or Nepal other times, it's going to your neighbor, going to your coworker at the water cooler or at the, uh, the gas station, wherever you might run into people. And there's always a fear 
or a trepidation about how do I go? What do I say? What do I do? That verse we read in Deuteronomy 31 has such so many important nuggets there for us. First, God is going before you. He's not going to send you anywhere if he's not going there before you. Secondly, he's not going to leave you once you get there. (laughs) It's not going to be that he leaves you in. You get there and you turn around. Where did he go? He's with you. And that's why he says at the end, don't fear. Don't fear. So I would just encourage you to to search your heart and ask God, where would you have me go? Remember, if he's going before you, you're going somewhere. Going before implies movement. So if, if he's going before me, that means I'm going. Where does he have you going? Where does he have you going today? Is it to the person at work? Is it to the person across the street? Is it to the other side of the planet? Be, be open to that, receive that, and know that because he's going before you, and because he's always with you, and because he'll never forsake you, you don't have to fear. You can step out in joy and comfort and excitement to know that you're part of the Missio Dei, of the vision of God for his people on this earth. Let's pray. Father, it is so exciting to be a part of what you are doing among your people around the world and among your people here at Myrtle Grove to know that you are moving in the hearts and lives of people right now at this moment and touching their hearts and and reminding them of people that they can share the gospel with, reminding them of uh, of a vision that you've given them that maybe they've set aside or forgotten a way that they can be instrumental in the furthering of your kingdom. Father, I pray that you will cause that to flourish, to grow, to develop, to be nourished right here, right now in this moment, that lives will begin to turn outward even more than they already are, that we will begin to look out beyond the walls, beyond the the neighborhood beyond the city, that we will begin to look with the vision that you have, that we will become global Christians because we have a global God. And as we turn our attention now to the, to the communion, to the remembering of what you gave us at the cross of Calvary, I pray that that grace will just wash over us again as we are reminded that we are loved, that we are called, and that we need not be afraid. 